Well, something that I need to confess to you that happened yesterday. Uh, I've already shared this with my wife, so she knows. Uh, but I put away the snow shovels yesterday. I put away the snow shovel. So, Jen, I, I appreciate your optimism, but did you know that on Wednesday they're calling for five to eight inches? Now, I'm just trying to be realistic here. Yes, it is true. It is true. Now, everybody's going to the weather app just to double check, make sure he's. Yes. That's what the Bereans did. Yeah, see? What the Bereans did. They searched the scripture to see if these things be true. All right. Well, uh, I want to walk by faith, Jen, so I put the snow shovels away. So you know what that means? Probably 10 to 12. Okay. (laughs) But good, good. Way back on March 10th, we started our series, this series, Practicing His Presence in Prayer, which was actually a follow-up to the series we started the year with in January called Practicing His Presence. And both of these series were based on a question that we kind of posed over these months. Is it possible to remain in God's presence moment by moment throughout our busy day? Is it possible to remain consistently in the presence of God moment by moment, day by day? For many of us, that's something that's just kind of a thought out there. No way. No way. In fact, my God thoughts are reserved for this hour on Sundays. Uh, The rest of the time, mm, it's a struggle. It's a struggle to keep God at the forefront of everything I do all day long. And I think if we're honest, that's many of us. We struggle with this. How do we keep God's presence in our lives moment by moment? And here's some of the things that we've been learning along the way. Uh, You are going to need sermon notes today. So if you're not in the habit of using them a little later in the service, we are going to use them for a specific reason So if you didn't get one on your way in, would you kindly lift your hand? Okay, and uh, our usher's goal today was to make sure no one made it through without getting there. So just a few over here. Anybody else need a set of sermons? Okay. Oh, Bob? Go ahead, Bob, stand up. (laughs) Be bold. If you don't have them, all right. Yeah. Looking good, Bob. You need sermon also, right? Okay, Aaron does too. Aaron, I won't have you stand. Is that all right? All right, you know Aaron. Good, you know Bob too, good. All right, so let's begin. Prayer is communication with God. These are some of the things that we picked up along the way. Very simply, uh, we believe that God is alive and we are alive. In order for us to communicate with God, the avenue that we do that is called prayer. Prayer is communication with with God. Very simple uh, kind of definition, isn't it? And we also believe that the health of any relationship is based on clear and consistent communication, right? Clear and consistent communication. And, and so if we are going to have the kind of relationships with our spouse, our family, our children, whatever, uh, communication is key. So is it true in the supernatural realm. We must be communicating with the Father. So prayer is a sacred and sweet dialogue between two persons in love. God so loved the world that he sent us his son. He desires a love relationship with you and with me. And so in order for that to happen, right, we have to be communicating with God. And that communication is a sweet and sacred dialogue between two persons in love. 
Do you know that God loves you? Now, you know that here. You know that here, correct? But for many in this room, uh, underneath, as soon as we slip out, we see God is a God of, of judgment and punishment and discipline and uh, really uh, kind of a, just an old crabby guy that uh, wants to have his way with you. That's not who God is. He is a God of love. He loves you. He's not ashamed of you at all. He loves you unconditionally. And he doesn't use guilt. He doesn't use guilt. Remember when we went through that whole process? He doesn't use guilt. No. God loves us. We found that prayer releases the power and authority of God, which is very important, as we'll pick up on in just a couple of minutes when we look at this spiritual warfare going on around us. But prayer is a tool that releases the power and authority of God. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Prayer is that channel that releases the power and authority of God right here in this natural world. Okay? We also learned that prayer produces continual kairos moments. And we've been talking about this a lot in our church. Uh, there's two words for time in Greek. Uh, there's only one in your English Bible. Uh, one is chronos, which has to do with linear time, the timeline of your life. The other is kairos, and these are moments in which God breaks into our lives. And we want to live more and more in those kairos moments, those God moments. And learn to identify them. God, what are you saying to me in this moment? And, and prayer then uh, will produce and affirm many kairos moments in our own lives. Because we believe that prayer brings the supernatural into the natural. And that's what kairos is. It's taking that which is supernatural and then inserting it into our daily lives. The way we treat our kids, the way we drive our car, the way we think about our boss. All these kinds of things are encompassed then in these Kairos moments, day by day and moment by moment. So we also learned that God is speaking. God is speaking constantly. And I'm glad God doesn't give us a silent treatment, aren't you? Now, sometimes we feel that God is silent. And I, I reminded us at that point when I hear a believer say, it seems more like my prayers are bouncing off the ceiling. Well, I'm here to assure you God is on this side of the ceiling. He said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. He's right here with us. He doesn't leave us. He never leaves us. We feel like he's not there, but the truth is he's not leaving us. Our prayers aren't bouncing off the ceiling. He's on this side of the ceiling and he's listening. He's listening. To each of our cries. Okay? So God is speaking. Here's some verses to remind us of that. God speaks again and again, Job said, though people don't recognize it. He speaks in dreams and visions when deep sleep falls on people. He whispers in their ears. Remember that phrase because we're going to come back to that in just a second. He whispers in their ears. Long ago, God spoke many times in many ways to our ancestors, Hebrews author says, through the prophets. And now in these final days, he has spoken to us through his son. Who's his son? Jesus. Correct? Jesus. Good. So we see then that God now is speaking through his son. Jesus is the word of God. He is the voice of God. Correct? He is God in the flesh. He is the mouthpiece of God. And God speaks in many different ways even today. 
But it's all coming through his son. In fact, Jesus would say, my sheep listen to my voice. My voice. My voice. Because he is speaking. The shepherd is constantly speaking to his sheep. And the sheep are listening, Jesus assumed in John 10, to his voice. Recognizing that it is his voice. It's not some other voice. It's his voice. That voice. So he says, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me because they're listening to my voice. I am speaking to them. And he's speaking continually. But the question then becomes, are we listening? Jeremiah the prophet wrote, who will listen when I speak? Recording the words of God. Their ears are closed. They can't hear. They scorn the word of the Lord. They don't want to listen at all. So that's one extreme. He's writing to people who claim to know God. They don't want to listen. They're not paying any attention. On the other hand, we read this psalm, which I think is very important. I listen carefully to what the Lord is saying, for he speaks peace to his faithful people. So we got two extremes. We have that group of people who really aren't listening at all and really don't care to listen unless it's convenient. And we get what we want from God because, God, I want this. I'm listening for you, God, as long as you give me this. We have other people who are continually listening for the voice of God. And in this room is that entire spectrum. There's some people here who would say, you know what? I've never really heard from God. I can't say that I've ever really heard from God. Hmm. There are others who say, ooh, I hear from God all the time. It's just like a continual dialogue. And we think, ooh, those people are kind of weird. They're kind of weird, aren't they? Yeah. But I understand the word of the Lord here. I listen carefully to what the Lord God is saying, for he speaks peace to his faithful people. We need to listen carefully because as Jesus' followers, we've been discovering in this series, the Bible teaches us we are in a spiritual battle daily. If you are a follower of Jesus, we are in a spiritual battle. And we took a long look at that. Here's how Peter put it. Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil, who prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Okay? So we have an adversary. What's his name? Okay, the devil, Satan, correct. He prowls around like a roaring lion. Now, I thought this was interesting to contrast this with that Job verse we just read. Saying that God whispers in our ears. Satan goes about like a roaring lion. A lot of times we flip that around and we say, I'm listening to the voice of the devil. He's playing all these seeds in my head. He's just whispering these lies. And he does that, right? On the other hand, we want God to speak in his thunderous voice from heaven. Go, do, whatever, right? God, just speak to me. Speak to me. But I can assure you, God's voice is often in the stillness. Be still and what? Know that, that I am God. God is often whispering in our ears, but because we're so distracted, we're wanting God to speak in the sky, write it out there so we can all see it, right? And we forget the fact that it's often Satan who's in our face in the big picture. We don't even recognize it. We get it kind of backwards here. Just food for thought. Our spiritual battle have several fronts. For most of us, the hardest battles are fought within ourselves. Okay? And again, I wish we could just kind of stop right here because this is probably as far as we need to go with most. 
the spiritual battles that exist, and we'll talk about prayer and how this factors in in just a moment, the hardest battles are fought within ourselves and getting a grip on the war inside of us, this constant struggle that's happening within every person between the flesh and the spirit, between good and evil, can be the most exhausting, hardest battle we will ever face. Okay, Here's what Paul wrote about that. The sinful nature wants to do evil. How many of you have a sinful nature? How many of you are seated next to a person with sinful nature? Yeah. Okay, good. The sinful nature wants to do what? Evil, right? Which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. Now, Paul is writing to believers. If you're here and still checking out Jesus and the faith, that's cool. We're glad that you're here. But once uh, we have this relationship with God, the Holy Spirit takes residence in us, right? And now we have a new nature, the Bible says, and this nature doesn't like the sin nature. They don't play well together at all. Let's continue reading here. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces, forces are constantly fighting each other so you are not free to carry out your good intentions. There is a war going on inside of every believer constantly. Bam, 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 bam. Sometimes we try to make it into a cartoon. Got a good angel on this shoulder, bad angel on this shoulder. But we're just kind of dramatizing what's actually happening. These two natures are slamming into each other constantly, right? And where is the battle? Where's the battle fought? In your mind. The battle is not for your soul. The soul is going to follow the brain, right? The battle is actually for the mind. Be transformed. How? By the renewing of our mind. Absolutely. So this is where the battle is being fought right here in our mind, right? And these two natures are pulling us apart. One pulling us this way, one pulling us that way. How many of you have had that experience this week? Yeah, and everybody ought to raise their hand because even the good we know we ought to do and don't do, that's just as sinful, right? Missing the opportunity to do good is just as bad as doing bad. Right? So this is constantly going on inside of us. This war is happening. It's very real. Maybe we ought to cut each other some slack once in a while and understand there's a war going on in the person right beside you, in the person in front of you, in the person in the back of you. There's a war going on. How do we help them in this battle? They're acting out this battle. And often we try to correct the behavior and the symptoms and everything on the outside when we're not addressing what's really happening. A connection with God. The freedom that comes from knowing Him and walking with Him. That makes sense to you guys? You understand that battle? Yeah. Standing up for Jesus can make us stand out to the enemy. Standing up for Jesus can make us stand out to the enemy. So not only do we have this battle raging inside of us, uh, now uh, the enemy takes note if you want to pursue God hard, especially in prayer, there's going to be resistance. That's part of the nature of the beast at this point. So attacks come from all angles. Attacks come from circumstances. Attacks come from people really close to us in our lives. It's kind of amazing. And sometimes the people closest to you can give you the most resistance to try to follow God. Intriguing kind of thing. Even our own doubts. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. 
That's what Jesus said. He comes to discourage and destroy. Do, you, do we grasp that fully? We have an adversary who wants to take you out. Not just take you down. He wants to take you out. He wants to take your marriage out. He wants to take your kids out. He wants you eradicated. And he's working very diligently to destroy your marriage, your home, and you. Now, we don't have to be afraid of that, do we? Because greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. That's correct. So there's no doubt there's a spiritual battle going on. It is real. We have a real enemy. Devil, his demons. Here's what Paul would say. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against what? We are not fighting against flesh and blood. Can't come back this enough. We are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly place. Now, this gets kind of weird, kind of spooky, uh, right? And uh, uh, in at least here uh, in America, we try to downplay the supernatural, and a lot of this is happening. Uh, it is. Having lived overseas, I understand where the battle is far more blatant and real, and it's every day. Here we kind of suppress it, even in the church. We try to suppress this battle that's happening. And then what we want is we want to then characterize and personalize our enemies. Right? Do you understand the gay community is not our enemy? Do we really grasp that? And for most of you evangelical born-again types in your narrow Republican mindset, Democrats are not the enemy. Amen. Do, we, do we understand? Well, we got one. We got a token one. Oh, <laughs> great. Isn't that fantastic? Right? <laughs> but oftentimes we try to put a face on the enemy. Your spouse is not the enemy. Your boss is not the enemy. The enemy is the enemy. And there are spiritual forces happening all around us. We've got this conflict going like this inside of us. And now we've got enemies coming at the outside. And we wonder, why is my life like this? And we whine and we complain. Right? <laughs> Isn't that what you signed up for? To follow Jesus? Sure it is. Welcome to the team. Right? Maybe we ought to encourage one another. Instead of stomping on each other, right? In the church in general. Wow, wow, wow. There's a battle going on. Battle going on. We are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. Take the war where it belongs. That's why we pray. You see, God has equipped us to resist the devil and cause him to flee. James 4, 7 is a verse we worked on a few weeks ago. It says, submit to God, therefore resist the devil, and he will flee from you. First thing we have to do, of course, is submit to God. We have to submit to God. If we don't get the first part of that verse right, and we're not submitted to God, forget resisting the devil. He's got a wide open door to wreak havoc in our lives and in our relationships. Unless we're fully submitted to Jesus. Submit to God, therefore. Resist the devil, and what will happen to him? He will flee from you. Now, 
The Christian can counter the enemy's attacks with the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, as we understand the armor of God in that context. The final piece, as we discovered, was prayer. We pray for strength to resist the evil. We pray for wisdom in the spiritual battle that's going on inside of us, that we will hear the voice of the Master and we will follow Him. And I'm absolutely convinced when a single person or an entire family or a church stands united against evil, resisting the devil, fully submitted to God, fully equipped with the armor of God, coming in the authority of Jesus Christ as he has promised to those who follow him, we present a very formidable foe to the enemy. In fact, at that point, the promise will kick in. We will see the enemy run, and we will see the glory of God come. That's the promise of that. All right. That was review. Only got one more point, then we're going to practice some praying. Sound okay? Let me just ask real quick, any questions about where we've been in this series? That was a quick overview. Questions? Yes? Okay. How do you, how do you like, uh, use the authority you're given by Christ to make him like Okay, so uh, the question is asked, if we are desiring to resist the devil and he's not fleeing, what's gone wrong? What, what's happening here? You, you, she's asking, okay, you are submitted to God. I really want God's will for my life. I really want to follow God. But you know what? Uh, I, I try to pray, read the word, uh, do what I'm supposed to do. I'm resisting the devil. I'm fully submitted to God. And yet he's still stalking me. What, what do we do? Yeah, he's in your face. He just doesn't leave you alone. Yeah, okay, he goes for a while and then comes back. So what do you do, church? What's the answer to that question? Okay, so one answer is keep praying. you got to persevere. Okay, because when you say, when you resist the devil, is that a one and done for like the rest of your life? No, because there's this battle, and it's never going to go away, right? Because we have this sin nature battling the Spirit of God within us. That battle is never going away till when? When is that battle ended? When Christ comes again, or we go to Him. When we meet Jesus, the battle's over. Literally, it is finished. The battle's been won at Calvary through the power of the resurrection, which we'll celebrate shortly, right? It's been won. Just the mop-up operation. Now, there are some people in this room who will be able to resist the devil. And you know what? Pretty much everything returns to some kind of sanity. There are some people in this room that you have been resisting the devil for a long, long time. And he just keeps coming. And I've known people in my life that they just never, never seem to be able to turn the corner. It's just, oh, it's just one battle all uphill after another. Why? Why? Do you think that God's grace is sufficient in your weakness? Because Paul said, three times I asked the Lord to take this thing that Satan was poking me with. Three times I asked him to take it away. Did he take it away? No, he did not take it away. What did he say? 
in Second Corinthians 12. Hmm? My grace is sufficient for you. Therefore, I will all the more gladly boast in my weaknesses that the power of Christ might rest on me. He didn't change the circumstance at all. What he changed was the perspective in which we approach life. I'm not going to focus on the enemy and what he can or can't do to me, right? I'm going to trust in the grace that God has given me for victory. That's a whole different shift here because it has nothing to do with the way the circumstances are going on the outside. And we are so dependent in this country on our circumstances. Oh, God must be uh, blessing me because, oh, my goodness, my car hasn't broke down forever. And, you know, I haven't gotten sick. And, and we rely totally on these circumstances. Not the way we're supposed to look at this thing at all. Rather, it's what's going on in here that's truly important. Right? So I think it's a, it is a matter of perspective. And all I can say is there's a point in which you just got to hang in there. You just got to hang in there because sometimes the enemy comes and these attacks will subside. But then they come roaring back again. Then they pull back. Then they come back. This is a war. This is a war that's going on, right? And it'll be constant probing, constant probing to test your faith. Physically, you say, what's happening here? I thought I was on the victory side. And now I get this report. What in the world's going on, God? Let me up from this, right? His grace is sufficient for you. Boast in your weakness. And the power of Christ will rest on you. It will. It will. Lisa? What does it look like when His grace is sufficient? What does that look like? If the circumstances don't change, Paul was not released from prison. He was beheaded, right? His grace functioning all the way through that. He was leaning into that hard. Circumstances didn't change. So what does it look like, Lisa asks. Somebody want to take a shot at that one? What does it look like when his grace is sufficient? What happens inside of you when you know his grace is more than enough to handle this problem? Peace. Good. Peace that what? Surpasses our understanding, surpasses our circumstances. Not like, oh, it's 78 and a slight breeze out of the south. It's a beautiful day, right? It's nice and peaceful up there on the lake. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about in the middle of those circumstances that are just tearing us apart. There is this supernatural peace. Agreed completely. What else? Shout it out. Okay, you're expressing a different kind of attitude. Rather than complaining and grumbling against it, I'm going to say I'm thankful for all circumstances. The bad ones? Do you really believe that all things work together for good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose? That's just not a little mental gymnastics. That's a way to look at life through the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay? So what does that look like? You've been around people under tremendous load, haven't you? You've seen it. And you've seen people bear that load with such grace, with such peace, with such hope that goes way beyond their circumstance. How do I get to that point? I want to get to that point. You want to get to that point? How do we get to that point? Submit yourselves to God, therefore. There's something that God is working out in my heart yet that's not quite there. And I have to own that. I have to embrace that. 
I have to understand. He's, he's not so much concerned about the circumstances as he is what's happening right here in my heart. That's where he's going. Not for peaceful circumstances, for a peaceful heart. Make sense to you? How do we know when we haven't submitted? That's the last question. You've used your quote, young lady. <laughs> my goodness. No, I love the questions. You know that. How do we know? How do you know that you're fully submitted to God? Was that the question? Okay. Okay. How do you know? How does God show you parts of your life that are not fully submitted. And this is the odd thing about following Jesus. The closer you get to him, the darker you see your own heart. Because he keeps walking down the corridor and he keeps opening another door. It keeps getting deeper and deeper and deeper. And you thought, well, I'm there. Hallelujah. I am submitted to God. Well, not quite. Not quite. There's always that last thing. So it's a process. Submitting to God is not a one time deal it's a process that we go through and allowing him trusting him go deeper into my heart jesus that's a risky prayer go deep spirit lead me to this place without borders where my faith will be made stronger yeah so continue it's a journey it's not a prayer here it's not coming to the altar and go, oh, God, I submit to you. That's good. That's good for now. But Jesus said, if you really want to follow me, take up your cross daily and follow me. Deny yourself. Take up your cross daily and follow. I have to submit to God over and over and over and over again. Constantly. Process. Good. All right. We got to move on. We got to move on. Okay. All right, one last thought. Jesus was in a certain place praying. As he finished, one of the disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray. Love this passage of Scripture. Lord, teach us to pray. Now, at this point, he had been with his disciples about two years. They had seen him perform incredible miracles. In fact, Jesus had used them as a part of the miracles that he performed. Right, So they had seen the power of Jesus. But there's something very unique about this particular verse. Here we find the only request in the Gospels made of anyone for Jesus to teach. And what do they ask? Teach us to. Teach us to pray. They didn't say, Jesus, teach us how to preach. Jesus, teach us how to communicate. Jesus, teach us how to create an effective website and social media outreach for our church. Jesus, teach us how to build a cool facility and have a really nice worship team. And Jesus, teach us how to do. No, they didn't ask any of that. None of that. Only one request. Teach us to pray. They had seen him do it. They said, ah, ah, this connection. I said, well, no, we get it. We see what else is happening. Teach us to pray like that, Jesus. Teach us to pray like that. And if you look into the context, the next thing he did is he did the Lord's Prayer. When you pray, pray like this. He didn't teach them principles of prayer. He prayed with them. 
And there's a time I get worried teaching principles of prayer. This should come as naturally as a believer as, as breathing does for a human being. Why do we need to learn more about this? Why don't we just pray and learn by doing? Hmm, hmm. That might be a little novel, but it's really the way that I think God intended. Now it's my joy to help teach my grandchildren to pray. Uh, Anderson uh, will be three in July. And uh, we had some family over uh, last Saturday, and uh, we sat down at the table. And as is usually the custom, when there's different people there, they look at you because you're the professional prayer. Can you lead us in prayer? Yeah, I can do that. Sure, I guess. And, and so everybody does what's not in the Bible. They all bow their heads and fold their hands and close their eyes. Okay, that's cool. And then, just as I began, Anderson jumped in. Dear Jesus, thank you for mommy and daddy. Those are precious moments, aren't they? So last week in the concert of prayer, I was sitting right over there. And uh, Pastor Michael has us kneel, right? So I knelt down, and I'm looking over, and Anderson's right beside me. Every single posture I made, he made. He was just looking at me like this, like this. So I tried a few, and he's just looking at me. Because that's how we learn to pray, right? It's by doing prayer. And so that's very important that we teach our children prayer because there's nothing like hearing a kid pray. My goodness, it goes right through your heart like they're talking to Jesus like he's right there because he really is, right? And so downstairs in Kid Connect, uh, Liz works very hard on making sure that the children's spiritual life is constantly growing and prayer is an important part of that. And here's some uh, prayers from our kids downstairs. These are real, these are recent, and I think they're pretty cool. Uh, Dear Lord, thank you for your blessing, life, the color green, and otters. Now, you can't read that, so uh, tech, let's put some subtitles on there in case they don't read children. Okay, so you hit that on the remote. Okay, okay. How many of you like otters? I'm trying to identify which kid that was, so uh, okay. Uh, Lord, help me love other people. That's pretty profound. Lord, I need you to help me when I'm in timeout or in detention at school. <laughs> help me to be a good kid everywhere. Whose kid is that? Would you? <laughs> but you hear the cry of his heart? He wants to do right. He's right in the middle of the spiritual battle going on inside of him. What are we going to do as parents? What are we going to teach our kids about this battle? Dear Lord, be with my family. This one comes up over and over again. Next one. To stop arguing and fighting with my siblings. Dear Jesus, please help my parents not to fight a lot. Your kids are giving you up, folks. And they're watching. For my grandparents to accept Jesus. Precious, isn't it? Absolutely precious. And my favorite from this last batch, lice was found at my school. Yikes. (laughs) (laughs) 
Now there's a real cool prairie quest, right? <laughs> I love that. I just love to hear kids pray. Emily and Sam? Just Emily. So I've invited Emily to come and pray. If I can borrow that mic, I'll be okay. And we are going to pray. Hi, Emily. How are you? Good to see you. This little girl can pray. And I first discovered this when I was in ICU and struggling. And this little girl was praying for me. And her mom sent me a video of her praying for me. And that just, wow. Do you love to pray? Yeah, yeah. I know. <laughs> it's so cool. All right. Uh, what are you going to pray about? She doesn't really know what she's going to pray about. This is what I love. She didn't write it out. And understand, Liz is exactly right. Kids don't get half the Holy Spirit or a little version of the Holy Spirit. It's the same Holy Spirit. He doesn't grow up inside of the kid. He's within each of us who follow Jesus. And when a kid prays, oh my goodness. It's the Holy Spirit at work. So, um, Emily, I'm so glad you didn't prepare anything. So we're just going to pray and we're going to talk to God, okay? Let's pray, church. Oh, wait, wait, wait. <laughs> I might as well do this now. It's... Okay. Uh, bowing your head, folding your hands, and closing your eyes. John Orberg did some research into this. He believes the first time this appeared on the radar in church history was when? Take a guess. Happened in the 1800s. No, not the Reformation. It's called the invention of Sunday school. That is the first time we see anywhere in any writings of people bowing your head, closing your eyes, and folding your hands. They did that to maintain control in the classroom. Huh. And now we've standardized it as if you're a Christian, you have to... Uh, uh, uh. So um, we're working with the, the church leaders. Uh, we are now praying, looking at each other or with our eyes open. I think it's a great way to pray. So if you're so inclined, I know it might be weird. It might be really weird. You don't have to look at Emily. But just try not folding your hands. <gasps> really? Could it be? Good. Sorry, Emily. Okay, church, let's pray together, shall we? Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Please help anybody who's sick or traveling, and please help um, Haiti and the poor people and. Thank you for a great family, and thank you that we can come to church and um, celebrate about you. And thank you for, um, please help um, people who are in the hospital, like, like whoever has cancer and whoever is sick. And please help um, my Mrs. Hendricks, as her mom is sick and he might catch cancer. Amen. Amen.
Thank you, Emily. That was so good. I like it. Nice job. Nice job. Good. Good. Give kids the opportunity. Watch what they can do. All right. Lord, teach us to pray. I believe that God is speaking. And uh, here's just a, a bit of an exercise. I was going to actually have us do this, but for time's sake, we won't. Uh, but I want to walk us through it at least. This is something that I use uh, personally. A few weeks ago, uh, Jessica talked to us uh, about how we can effectively pray the Scripture. And so at the end of your sermon notes, there's a little exercise. And um, again, let me just review this quickly. And uh, hopefully this week you can give this a try. Okay? Ah, Maybe we'll try one. Eh, Let's see. All right. I take a passage of Scripture because I believe it is God's voice. And I know that when I pray according to the will of God, it'll be done. That's what Scripture says. Anything you ask for according to his will, it shall be granted. 1 John 5 tells us that, right? So how do I know how to pray the will of God? Do you think the word of God is the will of God? So if we're praying the word of God, it becomes the will of God, and we'll have what we ask of him because we've asked according to his will. Make sense to you? So praying the word or scripture is extremely important. So I'll take a passage of scripture like this, like Psalm 91, and I will read that, and I'll say, the Lord says, I will rescue John who loves me. I will protect John who trusts my name. Whenever John calls on me, I will answer. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue and honor him. I will reward John with a long life and give him my salvation. So I take the personal pronouns out of that passage of Scripture, insert my name. Do you think that God has changed since that word was written? Do you think if that promise was good enough for David, it's good enough for me and you right now? Absolutely it is. Absolutely it is. So what I suggest is when I pray the word, then I will know that it is according to the will of God. Makes sense, doesn't it? And some people say, well, you you just pray so fluently. No, all I'm doing is praying back his word oftentimes. Just praying back his word. Because I know that's his will. Right? And so, as we look at this, then I ask myself, what does God want me to know about him? So if I'm looking at this, what does God want me to know about him from that passage of Scripture? So if I, you insert your own name there, I'm going to put my name. The Lord says, I will rescue John who loves me. What do I know about God from that sentence? Number one, he loves me. And if he loves me, is he going to hurt me? Is he going to bring harm to me? Is he going to shame me? That's not love, right? So this is what I want to know about God. He loves me. What else do I know about God from that passage of Scripture? He will rescue me. What area of your life do you need rescued right now? There's something going on in your life right now in which you say, God, you got to rescue me. Is it, Ron? Yeah. And all of us can say yes to that, right? That's what he said. He loves me. He will rescue me. Not the way that I want to be rescued, the way that he wants to rescue me. Right? Give me one more thing about that. About God. He will answer. When I call to Him, He will answer. He will. He's promised. That's in His character. He will answer. 
the way he wants it to be answered, not the way I want it answered. Okay? But he will answer. Okay, how about the second question? What does God want me to know about myself in there? Just shout out a couple. What does God want me to know about myself? I will have trouble. Yes, it's exactly what I was looking at, too. Yes. Yep. Which means i got to submit to God how often? Yeah. Trouble's coming. Trouble's coming. You, right now, are either coming out of trouble, in the middle of trouble, or about to go into trouble. But be a good cheer. He's overcome the world. Okay? What else does he want me to know about myself? There. He has a plan for us. Very good. What else? I am lovable. Wow. That's profound. Absolutely. What else? What's the bottom line, the last word? (laughs) When it's all said and done, I'm going home. And this world is not my home. He's going to rescue me. Ultimately. Jesus is the key? Yep. He is. He's the key to our salvation. Absolutely. Yes. He's the one that will reward, and he's the one that will give. All right? And what does God want me to know about the truth of the situation that I'm in right now? Okay, good. What else? He will win. Ultimately, he's going to win. Good. What else? Okay. Strength comes from, and the joy of the Lord is my, okay, good. Sandy? We can have hope. Exactly. And I don't know what you're facing right now. Anybody else beside me need hope for some situation right now? Yeah, we're all nodding. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So, good. That's very good. Last question. What is God asking me to do? I almost eliminated that one because that's what we as good old Americans do. God, what do you want me to do for you? Yeah, I got to help you build your kingdom, God. Yeah, without me, ooh, you're in trouble. You need me, God. Oh, yeah, right. Trust, good. Good. Embrace the journey. I think that's, that's very, very wise. Don't jump to the doing. Don't jump to the doing. Stay in who God is and who I am in Him. Yes. And stay in that mode of faith. And so, okay, now i got to get busy for God. i got to do, 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 do. No, that's not what He's asking us. He's asking us to rest in His truth and the freedom that comes from that truth. Okay? All right. And we're not going to do that last one there. But... This is one that I frequently use in my life. Jesus said, come to me, John, when you are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Anybody else here get weary and carry some heavy burdens? <laughs> Absolutely. Take my yoke upon you, John. Let me teach you, Jesus is saying to me, because I'm humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy to bear. My yoke is easy to bear. And the burden I give you. 
the burden I give you is what? Light. Are you telling me Jesus gives us burdens to bear? Does he? Yes, he does. He is the one that lifts the burden, but he's also the one that gives the burden. But it's never more than our capacity because he's in the yoke with us. Now, when I stumble and fall is when I exceed the limit. And that burden is no longer easy. It's a pain. And I stumble and I fall. And it doesn't feel very light, Jesus. It doesn't feel light. What's gone wrong here? Huh. Take my yoke upon you, John. Let me teach you. John, my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. When I trust in him, when I give it to him, when I cast all my burdens on him, knowing that he cares for me. You see, this is the transformative power of praying.